Welcome in, MA fans. This is Ryan McKinnell filling in for Jimmy Smith. And on today's Unlock the Cage podcast, I'll discuss this strange war between MMA fans and pro wrestling fans. I'll also speak with Brendan Lochnane, who finds himself two fights away from a million dollars as he heads into a semifinal fight Friday against Bovid Habalayev in PFL on ESPN Plus 2. And I'll revisit the never-ending talk on fighter pay in MMA. When will it end? God, please! I do find it interesting as I talk about Ryan McKinnell being in for Jimmy Smith and as we talk about these MMA and pro wrestling worlds uh, wars, I should say. Obviously, Jimmy Smith, the voice of Monday Night Raw, right? There's the crossover. There's the mixed martial arts and pro wrestling sort of, sort of synergy, right? Ryan McKinnell, host of MMA Today and sometimes Unlocking the Cage and also weekend host of Busted Open, Right? There is that synergy and crossover. Now, Jimmy Smith, not he's been vocal about this, right? Jimmy had uh, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Play catch up, essentially, in terms of the business of pro wrestling. When Jimmy became the voice of Monday Night Raw, he said, listen, I'm not a current pro wrestling fan. I grew up a pro wrestling fan in the 80s and 90s. But over the last however many years, you know, I haven't been keeping a close eye on that. Or he hadn't been. Now, prior to joining the WWE, Jimmy went back, did his homework, found out about the current roster and now killing it absolutely destroying it on Monday Night Raw now the reason I bring that up is because I pretty much stayed a pro wrestling fan right um again there's still that synergy though of like you understand what the business is and if you're a combat sports fan if you're just an MMA fan you still have to understand the sort of synergy and symbiosis between MMA and pro wrestling. Again, even if you're not a pro wrestling fan, you have to recognize what the business of pro wrestling has done for some of your favorite fighters, right? Ken Shamrock comes to mind immediately in the mid-90s. Ken Shamrock was an original UFC pioneer, original tournament winner, had obviously the rivalry with Hoist Gracie, and then... Almost immediately after those first couple of UFCs around 96 or 97, Shamrock finds himself in the WWF, not just a part of the WWF, but an integral part of the WWF at that time, which is now the WWE, and its Attitude Era. He became a main player, had huge matches, was a part of some of the biggest storylines, and made a lot of money in that business, like a lot of money. So if you're a fan of mixed martial arts, on some level, I feel like you should be a fan of pro wrestling from the very least of at least allowing an avenue and an opportunity for some of your favorite athletes to make money. Now, later, we would obviously see the the sort of the the continuation of the Shamrock sort of years. And that came with Brock Lesnar. Now, instead of going MMA to pro wrestling like Shamrock did, Lesnar went pro wrestling to MMA. Lesnar, very much a name in professional wrestling, coming out of amateur wrestling in his career uh, up at Minnesota. Lesnar went essentially right into the WWE. And I believe became the youngest WWE champion of all time at that that period. Still might be the youngest WWE champion. And what does that mean? Listen, I understand it's a quote-unquote fake belt. It's not the same as what you would think of a UFC, right? But that's where you have to get really careful in terms of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts. Like when you use the word fake, like Alistair Overeem did or anybody does, right? That's not exactly true. 
Like when someone, when Vince McMahon puts the belt on someone in WWE, that belt isn't earned in the sense that in the way of like a championship fight in the UFC, right? You don't go out and you don't take out an opponent. But you do have to earn the respect of that locker room. You have to earn the respect of Vince McMahon. You have to put in the work to where they essentially crown you as the locker room leader. Now, that's a big deal because a lot falls on your head when you are the locker room leader. So Brock Lesnar becoming the youngest WWE champion, you might be rolling your eyes at that, but when there's someone like me who obviously operates in both spaces, it's a little bit more similar, I'm talking about the titles, UFC slash you know, uh, uh, WWE, than you would expect, right? There's still a huge amount of responsibility, and you could actually argue more with the WWE because, okay, look at it this way. When you're in the UFC, the drawing power is essentially sectioned up between a vast different sort of cross-section of champions, right? Meaning you have all these different pay-per-views, and each quarter, different fighters are responsible for adding to that bottom dollar. When the UFC is healthy and touring and doing what they do and putting on events in, in all these different cities... The gate, right? The bottom dollar, the, 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 the entirety, the whole of the business is dependent on different champions, right? In the WWE, that's not really the case. When the WWE tours and when they sell out shows or when they do pay-per-views, that bottom dollar, that equity, that money, that return falls on the head of the champion. Meaning when you're given the championship in WWE, that's Vince McMahon saying, okay, we believe in you. We see promise in you. We think there's ways for you to make money for uh, for not they're not wait there there are ways for you to make money, but we see you as the figurehead of this entire company. What I'm saying is the responsibility that falls on a Brock Lesnar being the youngest champion in WWE history is far greater than I think most people will give it credit for. Because again, when you're in that locker room, when you look across at and this is something that that the WWE and professional wrestling has that mixed martial arts doesn't have. And that's a camaraderie, a brotherhood, a sisterhood that actually might benefit mixed martial arts. If they had a little bit of semblance of that sort of unity and that, I don't know, that sort of care for their fellow athlete, I think mixed martial arts would be in a much better space rather than the Jared Cannoneers and the Misha Tates of the world coming out and cutting interviews and talking about how essentially they're broke and they're spending all their money on fight camps, right? It's this dog-eat-dog mentality of MMA that I don't think really, I mean, I don't think it helps the sport, either right now in the short term or in the long term. But again, I go back to Brock Lesnar, the, the camaraderie of the locker room, and the importance of holding that title in the WWE. You look across at your brothers, excuse me, and your sisters in the locker room at WWE, and you're like, shit, you know what, I, I, their livelihood depends on me as the champion. Because when you go to Duluth, Minnesota, or you go to Chicago, Illinois, it doesn't matter. When you go to, you know, <laughs> Auckland, you know, New Zealand, it doesn't matter. Wherever you go, that gate is tied to you. The money that is made, right or wrong, on that given night is reflective of the champion. 
And if you can't, if you're a few months into your title reign as WWE champ and you're torn and that money isn't what Vince McMahon expects it to be or what it was of the previous champion, you might be losing your title, which means you would be losing some leverage and some money and some payday, right? But I'm saying that's the importance of the payday, or excuse me, of the title in WWE. When Vince McMahon gives you that title, they're saying, we believe in you. We believe in you to make money, not only for me, Vince McMahon, but we believe in you to make money for your fellow brothers and sisters in that locker room. And champions in pro wrestling have talked about ad nauseum the pressure that that puts on you as a talent, as an entertainer. You're not just going out once every quarter. You're going out, you know, sometimes five, four times a week. You know, if you're doing house shows as a champion, you're running your body ragged for your fellow brothers and sisters at arms. And again, you're taking on the responsibility of selling out arenas all across the country, all across the world as the figurehead of this company. I just went, and I, again, I just wish the likes of Alistair Overeem would understand this before he goes out and spouts off at the mouth about professional wrestling and the business and being bad actors and all that. You can have your opinion. I just want it to be a well-informed opinion because I go back to Lesnar and talk about him being, you know, uh, given the essentially the championship in this case in making his return to the WWE Lesnar is not champion he does he's kind of at the point now where he doesn't need to be the champion he even he he he's kind of like the the attraction that's why again not everybody needs gold to be that main event attraction Lesnar has been that in the past he's not that currently right now but we talk about being attractions Ronda Rousey right doing obviously both in sort of uh, operating in both, I guess, atmospheres, if you will, maximizing her ability to make content, to excuse me, to make money and to put out content, to staying a viable selling point in the combat sports space, right? If I'm Alistair Overeem, who again is making his return to glory kickboxing against Rico Verhoeven, I would rather be in pro wrestling than kickboxing. If the, I think Overeem's like 43 years old. Which one would you rather do, Overeem? Right? If you're sitting here trying to maximize your earning power, maybe you shouldn't be so quick to shit on professional wrestling. Or maybe Overeem is way more wily and sly than I'm giving him credit for, and he actually is trying to maximize his bottom dollar in professional wrestling. Maybe what Overeem did yesterday was his introduction into professional wrestling, right? Maybe he's trying to be a heel. I don't know. I don't know what the chaos is. I don't understand why there is this emotion and why there is this war between professional wrestling and mixed martial arts, but it is certainly there. Pro wrestling is scripted. Mixed martial arts is not, at least by and large. We have had some thrown fights in, in mixed martial arts. Like I get that, right? Why do you feel like it's your job to explain that to people who already know? Essentially, what RJ was saying was, why is this guy still a draw in pro wrestling seeing that he got his ass kicked in the UFC? You know he can't fight. Well, motherfucker, I know Tom Holland can't swing from buildings from spider webs too. It also doesn't mean I'm not going to be the first in line to see Spider-Man No Way Home. You know what I mean? Like, we know it's acting. We know it's a scripted dance. We know it's predetermined outcomes. We can still have fun with it. We can still have our heroes. We can still cheer for people. Again, I, 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 it's the, the people who act like they're on, they, 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 they know something that pro wrestling fans don't, right? That they just can't wait to tell you that it's fake or that it's scripted, right? I hate using the word fake it, it, because, again, 
when I think about Overeem and his words and his disdain for the business of pro wrestling, again, obviously I operate in the world of pro wrestling. I defend the business. I have friends who are pro wrestlers. And they take that word really personally. And you know why they do? Because people have died for that business. Pro wrestlers who are 40 or 30, whatever, even, you know, middle-aged pro wrestlers, early 30s, the pain that they feel in their bones and their body and what they give to that business is most definitely real. The sacrifices are most definitely real. And again, it is just so annoying to me when people like R.J. Clifford and Alistair Overeem come out and they have these, what they think are profound thoughts on the business of professional wrestling. Like CM Punk got his ass kicked in, 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 in the UFC, so these dumbass pro wrestling fans are sitting out here. You know, this guy's not an actual fighter. He's not actually dangerous. We know what this is. Again, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. The business of pro wrestling is very clear. We know what it is. We know what we're watching. We don't need someone to explain what it is. Stay out your feelings, MMAers. The world is big enough for all of us. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up this Friday on ESPN2, we have a hell of a main event in the PFL. It is a featherweight semifinal between Movid Habalayev and this man stopping by to kick off our three here at Unlocking the Cage. The PFL's Brendan Lochnane. Brendan, pleasure to talk to you, man. You getting excited? Hey, thanks guys. Thanks for joining us, man. I know you got this fight coming up. It's obviously in a couple days. It's on August 27th. Brendan, for those of you that don't know, um, obviously you find yourself in this semifinal fight against Habalayev. We'll get into Habalayev. A seemingly dangerous fighter, undefeated, got some juice coming into him with this fight. But, Brendan, I think back to when we first heard about you. We first, or You first came across my uh, radar, obviously, with the Dana White Contender Series. So many thought you were going to get a contract from Dana White that didn't happen okay and you find yourself in the PFL but Brendan you are two fights away from a million dollars and as I hear all these fighters Misha Tate Jared Cannonier, take your pick come out and talk about UFC fighter pay you know what you ended up in the PFL my guy might not have been the worst case scenario for you this is pretty sweet you are two fights away from a million dollars man hey I absolutely love the energy on this radio <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, the Dana White thing, uh, it, it's always going to be an infamous part of my career. Uh, it's something right. that I take on my wing. I use it as motivation now. Um, I've been on an absolute tear, won 10 in my last 11. You know, I'm the top seed in this tournament. And, yes, Abelayev is extremely dangerous. He's from a great background, Khabib's training partner, yada, 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 yada. But everyone's writing off how good I actually am. I'm the more experienced fighter. I'm 21-3, and three, three questionable decision losses. Yeah, he's 17 and all, but I shouldn't even be beating myself. So it makes for a great main event. 
It really does. And you, you're obviously coming off that great fight against Tyler Diamond. You're now in the semifinals of the PFL. And you bring up Habalayev. He is... He, he, he's actually, Brendan, uh, you, you talk about you being the more experienced fighter. You are on paper. You fought the better competition, and you fought at a quote-unquote higher level. But Habalayev coming into this fight, he's actually the betting favorite. Yeah, I mean, I've been a betting underdog most of my career, even on the contender. I had the toughest fight. I was a betting yeah. underdog. Uh, even back to my Bama days, I was an underdog in that for the world title. I mean, I was an underdog against Shaman Marais. Like, uh, I love being a betting underdog, and it spurs me on even more to put on a great performance. Do you think you talk about we talk about Movid in this matchup uh, on Friday on ESPN two? Do you think a little bit of that juice, a little bit of that hype, has to come off the background of the fact you mentioned Khabib training partner? Do you think it's a little bit of sort of guilt by association, or in this case, the opposite—not guilt, but sort of getting pumped up by association with Habalayev? No, listen, there's no beating around the bush. The guy's a world-class fighter. You don't get to 17 and all mixed martial arts about being a world-class fighter. He can do everything. He's great on the feet. He's great wrestler, and he's good on the ground. Uh, but so am I. I'm an elite world-class athlete myself, and that's what makes it so intriguing on Friday night. We're both going to get locked in there, and the best man will win. Well, you talk about what makes Friday so intriguing. Listen, I talk about PFL a lot. Uh, Brendan, but I can't. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not always excited for the cards or the main events in like the truest sense, right? Like I'll watch because I mean I'm a mixed martial arts fan. It's my job to watch, but I can't say for certain that I would be watching every single PFL if it weren't the sort of situation I'm in, right? But when I look at Habalayev and I look at Lachnane, I look at the 17-0 and and I look at your story, dude, I am legitimately excited for this fight in part because of what you just said, the style of Habalayev. Like, that is a man who is completely okay with getting in all-out wars, seemingly, right? He's had some real banger of fights, and you have as well, Brendan. Like, when I look at this fight, I just see fireworks and then, oh, yeah, there's two really intriguing stories behind it. This really feels like almost like a homegrown PFL fight, and I'm so glad it's here because, again, the stories of you two and, again, the output at which you guys have. You guys are two action-first fighters, and I'm expecting a fight of the year candidate on Friday. Well, yeah, I mean, I've already had one fight of the year candidate, so why not have two? Yeah, I mean, that's true. <laughs> like I say, that, I came into the PFL. I was a 70 to 1, plus 7,000 to win it. That's dropped right down now. I'm the top seed. So write me off at your own peril. Yeah, I've got this dangerous man in front of me, but they just don't understand how dangerous I am. Yeah, well, uh, I do. At least I'm starting to come a lot, come around to that. Like I said, I only uh, found out about you on the Contender Series, but what I've seen since then and obviously went back and watched, I mean, you are all action and you bring the fight. And for those of you that listening out there on Fight Nation, if you have never seen Brendan fight, if you've never seen Movid Habalayev fight, I cannot stress to you enough how important Friday is for you. Go out and catch that main event on ESPN Plus, too. Brendan, you mentioned it. You do have a Fight of the Year candidate on on your hands already. Movid Havalayev presents the opportunity for a potential uh, another fight of the year. I'm just curious, man. This run in the PFL, and I talk about your history with the UFC and Dana White. Like, do you feel more loyalty to a company like the PFL who, when the UFC said essentially, hey, we don't want Brendan Lochnane, right? The PFL swooped you up, put you in this position to succeed. Do you feel more, I don't know, do you feel a more emotion to a company like that when they go to bat for you? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, PFL have fought in Madison Square Garden now. I fought in Mandalay Bay. I'm about to headline the Hard Rock in Miami where Mayweather just fought. I mean, come on, they've really got behind me. They're a great organization. They're doing big things. And, um, I mean, it shows they signed Anthony Pettis, Warren McDonald, Fabrice Redu, Shaman Marais, all these veterans that came over. And, you know, every one of them's out of the competition now. So everyone thinks that they're coming to an easy ride for PFL. It's just not the case. Well, it's true. It's true. And uh, again, you guys, again, the PFL, whether it be yourself or 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 Habalayev or what they're doing with the tournament sort of, uh, I guess, what's the format, right, to, to provide new opportunities and more pathways to success. I give a huge tip of the cap to the PFL and what what they're trying to do and what they've already done. Brendan, I'm curious for you, right? Like, I mean, mixed martial arts is a tricky sort of business and waters to navigate if you will right whether it be your experiences with the contender series or the pfl or the experiences of amisha tate and a jared cannoneer um this this million dollar tournament obviously grabs a lot of headlines the opportunity that you is now presented with obviously in the semifinals with habalayev then in the finals if you win that fight a million dollars i mean i don't know if you ever expected that opportunity to be coming at you at this point in your career but i am curious does it what does it do for the pressure what does it do to your mindset on a fight week since we're what like three days away from this fight and that carrot of a million dollars is being dangled in front of you that's not something that a lot of fighters get presented with so what does that do to your mindset yeah there's a lot of pressure on me i'm the only english fighter in the whole tournament um you know i've been away from home since september last year now i've really put all my eggs in one basket for this tournament i've dedicated my whole life my whole soul into the training camp for this fight. I've done everything. I kind of ticked all the boxes. I've already done halfway there now. I've got two more world-class opponents in front of me, but I genuinely believe it's my destiny. I really do. I mean, for what I've been through to get here to now, and the fact that the million-dollar carrot's just there, that's just a bonus to me. I just can't wait to paint a picture and show everyone how good I am on Friday night. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. I like that. Painting the picture, putting the art in mixed martial artist. I like that. We're here with Brendan Lochnane on a Tuesday edition of Unlocking the Cage. Now, Brendan, my pops was born in Lewisham, South London, so I have a little bit of tie to your country. I'm first generation. I love the country. I, I can't imagine I love it as much as you do, though. I mean, it is your home country. You said you've been here since September. What kind of, part of my language, what kind of mind fuck has that been kind of operating during COVID and having to relocate here and not going back to the, the obviously the country that you love and cherish so much your home yeah I mean it's been really difficult staying away from my family my friends and um, you know but yeah. coronavirus hit the UK quite bad so you know I had to make a move I had to do what was best for me and I did it and it was the best thing I ever did I've been extremely focused it's been laser like um, I've managed to get some great training out here you know the US is known for having great wrestlers so I've, I've really uh, took up my wrestling out here and Six color boxes for Friday night. Well, as we talk about Friday night, you are in the main event Friday, August 27th. This Friday, down there in Hollywood, Florida, at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino main event against Movid Habalayev. Obviously, two fights away from the million dollars. Have you allowed yourself to think about at all what you might do if you win a million dollars? Because, Brendan, I always say the best thing about my job is that I stay broke because if I actually had real money, I would be a problem, man. I shudder to think at all the dumb shit I would buy with a million dollars. Have you allowed yourself to uh, think about that at all? No, 100%. All I'm doing now is concentrating on Friday, and once a million dollars hits, we'll decide then.
<laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Keep your head on about you. Well, Brendan, listen, man, I know it's a busy week for you. You got this monumental fight coming up on Friday, so we do appreciate the time. Brendan, I, I, it's safe to say this is the biggest fight of your life on Friday, right? Yeah, 100%. All right, so that leaves you, well, if you, assuming you go out on Friday, that's going to leave you in the finals of the PFL with a million-dollar, as we've been calling it, the million-dollar carrot being dangled in front of you. I'm going to enjoy watching you in this main event. I hope you get the win, and I very much look forward to what the finals could bring in that million-dollar carrot, man, because, again, we don't have enough time to cover the story and the journey that you've been on here in this short interview, but it has been quite a story, so I very much look forward to you to put a little art into that mixed martial arts on friday night thank you so much and thanks for your time can't wait to impress you all on friday there you go pfl is brendan lockdown catch him in the main event of the pfl playoffs this friday against movid habalayev Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. The UFC clearly has its own issue with fighter pay. In the last week, multiple fighters coming out speaking about fighter pay. You also have to wonder how much this, how much we heard from Cannoneer on Saturday, right, is in direct response because of what Misha, said, Misha Tate said on Wednesday on MMA Today, right? When you have a Misha Tate come out and express her concerns about fighter pay, right? Talking about taxes, what I spend on fighter camp, right? Now, Misha infamously said I spent 98% of my money already, that my purse that I won for this fight, and then she tried to break it down. Listen, I don't know the specifics. I don't care about the specifics. I don't care if it's 98% or if it's 89%. $200,000 for a billion-dollar company for the likes of Misha Tate is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm not even talking about Misha Tate, my friend. I don't care about that whatsoever. I'm talking as Ryan McKinnell, the fan of mixed martial arts. I do not understand. How these bootlicking MMA fans can come out. Here's one that someone said in response to the audiogram we put out about Misha's uh, 200000 and how she essentially had spent all of her money already, right, through her fight camp and everything. This Spencer guy, Spolik82 on Twitter, saying, forgetting all the sponsor money they get also, if it's that bad, she wouldn't be doing it. So let's be clear about that. She could go work at a bar for $9 an hour plus tips and see what a real struggle is. You dumb motherfucker. (laughs) He didn't say that. I'm saying that to Spencer. Misha Tate did do that. When there wasn't women in the UFC, when there were no belts on the line, when there was no championship glory to be had, Misha Tate lived in a trailer outside of Dennis Hallman's house while working day jobs to invest in her dream to be a mixed martial arts champion. 
So now that she has become a UFC champion, now that she has one of the greatest fights in women's history, one of the greatest finishes in MMA history, I was there that night in Vegas, right? A commodity. Great rivalry with Ronda Rousey. Headline pay-per-views. Made serious money for the UFC. Now that you're saying that, now that you've acknowledged essentially that she's had that career, you're essentially saying, well, she could go back to $9 an hour and realize what real struggle is. Misha Tate is not you. She is not me. She is a UFC champion. She has accomplished all of this, and you're essentially saying, I don't know what you're saying. See what it's like to go work a real job. She does know what it's like to work a real job. That's why she's put in this work to be a champion the likes that which she is today. So why should she still have to essentially come out and apologize for this? Because she did. She released a long Instagram post essentially saying with, hey, you know, I know my finances. Uh, it's no one else's business. You know, I speak from a pace of passion. Yada, and she, essentially, she apologized without apologizing and ended it saying, I've never been happier. Well, she shouldn't have to say that. Because the fact is, is that money that was spent on her fight camp is gone. And the fact is, is she is underpaid. And the fact that I look at Leonard saying, you know, well, the glory should just get Wonder Boy or Israel Adesanya or whatever the case may be, right? Throwing out names that Glory just simply can't get. Why could? Why can't they get them? Money. If Glory or K1 wanted to keep Alistair Overeem, they could have kept him. They could have kept him in kickboxing. But Overeem went to mixed martial arts because there was more money. Now, how long does that stay? Like, how long does that stay a part of the landscape, right? How long is the UFC the top dog in the combat sports space? And are they the top dog in the combat sports space? Like, truly, are they? Or is pro wrestling? Because you look at the number of and the money that pro wrestlers make, yeah, in my opinion, it's a much sweeter deal than maybe or maybe not getting a UFC fight and then being cut whenever you want, right? The UFC can cut you whenever they want to. So there's no real security there. Now, the same can be said for the WWE, but the WWE also has people on their roster that get regular paychecks that are not on TV. They're getting weekly paychecks. They're just not being used. And their minimum at the at the WWE is a lot sweeter than what your Dana White contender series fighters or your ultimate fighter fighters are going to be making. And honestly, shit. Misha saying she makes 200 grand in that fight with Marion Renault. She fights 3 times in a year, that's 600 grand. Not counting taxes. You take taxes out of that, that's about like the lowest, low of the rung, the lowest part of the rung of the ring, right? When you're talking about uh, the WWE, the lowest sort of get in entry level contract is probably around that. Talking about no namers, talking about unimportant people in the terms of the, the WWE monster, right? That is the marketing monster. You're completely unimportant. Now, what is Misha Tate to the UFC? Theoretically, she should be a serious draw. Theoretically, she should be someone that the UFC is invested in and paying well and making sure that they're trying to cultivate this relationship and keep Misha Tate happy. Because I'll tell you what, you know who is at SummerSlam on Saturday? Misha Tate. Now, if you've listened to any of our shows, you know Misha Tate is not a pro wrestling fan. She's not as venomous as Alistair Overeem. She's not as callous and, and, and you know angry as Overeem is. And maybe that's just because she has more respect and understanding of just exactly what it is what pro wrestlers go through. But again, she's not a huge pro wrestling fan. That doesn't mean she's an idiot. You get a guaranteed contract at the at the WWE 
for $500,000 a year, shit, why wouldn't you take that? And honestly, she'd probably make uh, quite a bit more, especially if she was enveloped in a storyline with Ronda Rousey. Right. I just think that there's there's money to be made there. And I think you, that's something you could play with if, if Misha wanted to go down that avenue. And Misha's beautiful, right? Young, beautiful, uh, still obviously has the juice in terms of uh, sellability, realism in terms of what she could do in terms of going into the WWE. And yeah, honestly, I think she could play up a little bit of that heel run. Right. She could go a little over him and talk about how she doesn't like pro wrestling, and how it's it's this or that and how she doesn't have respect for it. I think that's a way you could get over as being a heel because p- clearly people are in their emotions about that. But my point is. Is these bootlickers who come to the defense of Dana White in the UFC where you've got these two top five fighters in Cannoneer and Tate. Now, even if they mismanage their money a little bit, like even if they I don't know, take 10 grand and did something stupid with it. Right. You're telling me that you, as a high-level, you know, championship-level athlete on an ESPN-branded billion-dollar company, that they should have to be coming out here and complaining about, you know, a couple thousand dollars? Or that, you know, what I'm saying is these are millionaire athletes and they should be paid as such. Why? Because if you want this sport to be around in the next 40 years, 50 years, at least in the current incarnation that it is today, and let's get this also, let's get this straight. The current incarnation today is still not as great as it could be. We're still losing out on athletes to every other pro sport. If a kid can be a baseball player, a basketball player, a football player today, that's what they're going to do. It's only at at some point where they realize that those dreams aren't going to happen, that scholarships aren't going to be on the table, whatever the case may be, right? Minor league career isn't going to work out, that some of them think about pivoting to mixed martial arts, right? You don't get the all-pro NFL linebacker out of college to make the transition or the Heisman contender, right, athlete in in college football to make the jump to mixed martial arts at that point because, no, he's going to go into the NFL and he's going to get guaranteed contracts and make more in a couple years of the NFL than he would ever make in his entirety of or her in his career as a mixed martial artist, right? The avenues are you, you essentially what you do. You're Greg Hardy. You go to the NFL. You see what you have in store there. You 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 play in the NFL until, in Hardy's case, you get kicked out because of domestic violence. That's what you're getting. You're getting the scraps. The best mixed martial arts heavyweight champion is not Francis Ngannou. The best mixed martial arts heavyweight champion is playing middle linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals or the Baltimore Ravens or the Pittsburgh Steelers. The best athletes in the world are not in the UFC. And that's okay. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm reinventing the wheel here. I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you something that you don't already know, right? But we don't want that to be that way forever. I mean, they talk about the heavyweight division all the time, right? You can make inroads in the heavyweight division because it's not you know, what it could be that it's a little lesser than some of the other divisions, especially the lower weights. Why? Well, geez, because those lower weights, they don't have ways to go and make money in professional sports like the 185ers or the 205ers or the heavyweights. Those athletes are already, the high, high level ones are already in their given sports. Now, again, it's a little bit different with the lighter weights. Same thing goes for boxing, right? But we lose out on lighter weights to boxing all the time. 
And we definitely lose out on other weights to the more stick and ball sports, if you will. So to the bootlickers out there that are coming to defense of the UFC saying, well, if you don't like it, you can go get a real job. Do you like fighting? Do you like mixed martial arts? Because you might need to go find another fucking sport. Because if you come out here and you keep stumping and you keep bootlicking for the UFC, do you know what the sport's going to be in 20 years? It ain't going to be shit. We're going to be in the same place that we are now which I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if mixed martial arts can sustain by just being what it is today. I don't know about you, but I actually want to see a time when the best heavyweight champion in mixed martial arts is actually the best heavyweight mixed martial artist on the planet. I want the best athletes in this sport. I want them to be paid as such. I hate this take-it-or-leave-it approach that the UFC has given us. I hate it even more that Dana White and the UFC have convinced you on some level that you aren't worth Francis Ngannou and John Jones. That you're coming out here and stumping and making arguments on the contrary. That, well, you know, it's just the way the sport is, and if, if Francis doesn't like it, you know, maybe Francis should just sit on the sidelines. What? Maybe Francis should appreciate more of what he's got. Maybe if he doesn't like being UFC heavyweight champion, he should go work for $9 an hour. You MMA fans, sometimes I swear to God you're the worst. You really are. We're going to try to make sense of this. We're taking calls on this subject when we come back. 877-344-4893. Stop making this sport terrible, fans. We're trying to make it better together. We're all in this together, me and you and, sadly, the fighters. We really shouldn't. We really shouldn't be in it together with the fighters. They should be millionaires. They should be looking down at us like peasants, like every other normal athlete. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Merck. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.